know, last week we talked about the opening of the book of James and how one of the real themes of it is the wisdom of God. We're going to pick back up with that as well. And James, that's again, he talks about it not just in his opening chapter, but he talks about it in the third chapter. And in fact, he talks about two particular things that will inhibit the flow of God's wisdom in our life. It will really choke it off. I want us to look at James 3, and we'll read through verses 13 through 16. It says that, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him, uh, let him show it uh, by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. That's a very interesting phrase. It's an interesting statement. The meekness of wisdom, that true wisdom that flows from God has a characteristic of meekness. What is meekness? Meekness is power under control. It, it, it really is a lot what Jesus looked like. Um, there was a meekness about him. And it's not an impressive word, but it speaks of something that is actually quite beautiful and profound, the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast and lie against the truth. That's not the thing that's going to unlock the wisdom of God in our lives. No, the, that kind of wisdom, he says, that, that kind of a desire to manipulate people, to you know, look out for only yourself, that kind of wisdom doesn't descend from above. No, then you look at the increasing intensity of the description words here. That's earthly, that's sensual, that's demonic. I mean, he really says it with in, uh, a conviction. And he says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing actually are there. It unleashes all kinds of wounds and hurts uh, when, we, when we allow envy and self-seeking to dominate our life. And those are two things that are mentioned there, right? I was thinking about self-seeking. Self-seeking has a lot to do, in this, at least in this context, with an ambitious kind of way of approaching life that, that, that really puts self on the throne, sees everybody else as sort of pawns in the game when it's at its extreme. And, and oftentimes when we are self-seeking, we get offended easily. Um, you know, we want to fight for position. And one of the, I tell you, one of the great examples that just works hand in glove with, uh, with what James is teaching us here is what Jesus modeled right before he, he went to the cross in the upper room in the Last Supper. Because remember how in John 13 it's described um, that the disciples, and we're told in the other Gospels, they had been arguing amongst themselves as to who was the greatest. A lot of, a lot of commentators and, and teachers believe that it, the reason they were arguing had to do with the seating arrangement around Jesus, who got the best seats. And we, but we know that they were arguing. Here, think about it. In the... Three years of, of being mentored by the Lord, they've been trained, they've been prepared, uh, they've been discipled, and then Jesus is here on the verge of everything that he has come to do. He's about to give his life away. He's, he knows that it's going to be horrendous. It's going to be awful. He's going to be utterly humiliated, stripped down. He's, he's going to be forsaken by everybody. And he, he just really, if, he really wanted, at a human level, he wanted his disciples, who were also his friends, to just be really present and with him in that moment. And so much it must have disappointed him when they break out in that argument. And they're just arguing selfishly here in this critical moment where humility is needed. They're fighting for the best seat. And that's what starts... The, one of the great teachings of Jesus. Some of us may recall what he did. Evidently, none of them had washed their feet. Um, there had been no servant to do it. So they, had, they walked in sandals, and it was sort of traditional to have your feet washed, but no one was willing to take that role. While they're arguing, evidently, Jesus in John 13, we're told this, gets down, and while they're in the midst of their interaction, he, 
he begins to, in the meekness of wisdom, puts on a towel and gets the basin and starts to wash the feet. When he's done, and, and Peter had initially resisted, when he's done, he says, do you understand what I've done? Now, the room was silent. Do you understand what I've done? I mean, you call me your Lord and you call me your teacher, and that's true. That it, this is what I am. But if I, who am your Lord and teacher, can wash your feet, how much more should you be willing to wash one another's? Listen to me. I've given you an example. I've given you an example. Now, as, as, the, as the, the evening went on, there was more interaction that occurs. Then we're, we know that something else happens. Look what it says here. I put this in your handouts. John 13, verse 31. It says that as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, because he's going off to betray the Lord, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of, his, of the Son, Jesus says he will soon give glory to the Son. Then he turns to the, the remaining disciples, and he says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told you, I, I told, as I told Ashley, the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you, you can't come where I am going. And then he pauses. So he's saying, I'm going to go. He's taught them this lesson about how his way is not the way of selfish ambition, but serving one another. And he says, listen to me. I have a final command for you. I have a final teaching for you. And then he utters what is one of the great statements of his ministry. He says, I am giving you a new commandment. Look at me. That you should love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes on to say, for your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The older version, I remember memorizing this verse. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one to another. That's fascinating. I remember reading a book by when I was just starting to follow Christ. It was, I think it was in college when I was um, you know, really digging in. And I came across this book called The Mark of a Disciple. Um, uh, I, think it, I think that's what it was. It was by Francis Schaeffer. I remember that. And it, and it was a little teeny book. And he, and he talked about this verse where he said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. He said, the ultimate testimony to the reality of Christ is the love that we demonstrate to one another. That was quite, that's what Jesus was getting at. You need to, you guys, quit trying to worry about who's the greatest and who's, who's too good to serve the other. Remember this, I have given you a command and, and he combines those two things, doesn't he? He combines what he, he models something for them that I don't think they ever forgot when he washes their feet. And then he also told them, I give you a commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That our way is different than the way, he basically saying is in the world, and he has said this before, look at the Gentiles. He meant the Romans in this case. Look how they, they, they operate. The great ones have all the power, he says, and everybody else serves that. that that's a, it, power, you, when you're great, you dominate. And he says, but that is not my way. He says, I give you a different way. You, the Son of Man came not to, to, to be served, but to serve. He says, you are not to do that. You don't treat people like that. You treat one another differently. Great or small, you love one another. It's very powerful, profound teaching. And I look at this and I say, you know what? Jesus counteracts this whole idea of self-seeking. And it really does connect with what James was trying to get at. Now, I put it, the uh, messages translation of James 3 in your handout in the, in the right-hand column. 
And message is a bit of more of a paraphrase, but it got at some things that I thought were really unique, and I added on two verses as well. Look through, read through this with me. It says, do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Well, then here's what you do. Live well, live wisely. Here it is. Live humbly. It's the way you live, not just the way you talk. Now, you know, James is going to talk about the power of conversation, the power of the tongue, the third chapter in the book of James. And I would encourage everybody to just reread. It's five chapters of this book. Reread the book this week. It's got so much wisdom in it for us, practical wisdom. But he, in the third chapter, he talks about how the tongue has so much potential to do damage and good. Words matter. But what he's saying here is, in the end, it's not our words. It's what we do. It's how we live. It's the action. It's, 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 that's what ultimately is going to tell the truth on us. He says, look, he says, it's not the way you talk, but, the, you know, it's more the way you live that counts. Now, look, he says this. So you can say you believe in Jesus, but mean-spirited ambition isn't the wisdom that comes from him. Boasting that you are wise to impress people, that's not the wisdom of God. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise. That's not the wisdom. He, he says, no, that's animal cunning. That's devilish conniving. No, and look at this phrase. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart. Everyone ends up at each other's throats. So that's the danger of self-centeredness. But he says real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with, look at this, a holy life. It's characterized. Part of the characteristic of, of this is seeking to get along with others. It's gentle. It's reasonable. It's overflowing with mercy and blessings. It's not, and this really stood out to me. It's not hot one day and cold the next. You know what he's saying? It's not moody. I remember when I was growing up, I was just a boy, and um, I would remember coming sometimes up, upstairs, and what, what was hard for me was that and I know my dad, as the years went by, come to see that he had troubles of his own that I never understood. But I remember with coming up and how I would one day, one, so on one day I would say something and it was no problem. Everything was fine. I could come up the next day, say the same thing, and get a completely different reaction. And I remember as a boy how difficult that was because I could never really know which one was going to show up on what day. And when that starts to happen to you, and if it ever has, what it does is you're just not quite sure. You get a little bit scared even about, is this the day when the trip wire's on? And, and he's talking, now that's an extreme example, but what he's talking about is how God really does call us to be a people who don't just say, oh, that's just the way I am. One day I'm this way, and one day I'm that way. Well, you know what? That's not the wisdom that comes from the Lord. There, there, it's not this, like, this idea. There, there isn't to be a consistency, not a two-faced moodiness that's part of what he's getting at here. Not two-faced, not, not a two types of people, a consistency. Let God want, the wisdom of God, when it shapes us, will begin to create something in us that is safe for people. Do you hear that? And, and not perfect, but, but it, it, it's safe. And, and, and look what he says. And, you can, and then he says, and you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys results only if you do. And I like this phrase. The hard work of getting along with each other. And you know how you partly do that? By treating each other, he says here, with dignity and with honor. That when we treat people with dignity and honor, it doesn't matter how great they are, how small they are. The way of Christ is the way that treats people with dignity and honor. 
And you know what I've noted? Sometimes in our most critical relationships is where we, we struggle with this sometimes the most. Why? Because sometimes familiarity becomes an excuse to treat others poorly. And instead of valuing our gifts, we use the familiarity, which should be a gift to us, as an excuse to be ugly to one another. That's will kill things. You understand that? And the Lord is going to call us on this because that is not the wisdom that comes from above. Self-seeking, what does he say the second one is? Envy. Another thing that can just douse the flow of God's wisdom in our life is envy. It's interesting to me because I remember um, a film that I saw a while back and how it really illustrated it. Was, it actually became, became the, the film of the year. In fact, when you look at a list um, of the top 100 films, American films, it's usually in the, in the, it's right in the middle of Last time I checked, it was right in the middle of the greatest films. Whoever makes that list, I don't know who makes that list, but the list that was said it was in it. And that was the film Amadeus. It was made in 1984. What? That film is awesome. Now, it's kind of a fictional account. You know who Amadeus Amadeus is the middle name of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And he is the great composer. And the, last, the film covers roughly the last 10 years of his life in, in Vienna. It, it is highly fictionalized, but it does, we do know that in the film, the, the main rival of Mozart is a man named Antonio Salieri. And the film is fantastic because it illustrates so vividly. See, what happens is this. In, Salieri, Antonio Salieri is an accomplished composer who's actually quite gifted. He's risen to a place of prominence in the court of King Joseph. He's, he's admired. People love his, his music. Uh, he has a good life. He's achieved uh, quite a, a bit of notoriety, although not great. He's not noted as a genius. He's admired by many, and, and, and yet there, you know, and, and he's done it through hard work and sacrifice. And he has been meticulous, and he, is, he has been careful to govern himself, and he's committed himself fully to his art. He loves his art. Oh, he loves music. And he hears about this young genius. Everybody's talking about this Amadeus, this Mozart, and he hears the music, and it's like angel music. He, he appreciates what other people even can't because he, he understands enough to know what genius is. And as he's listening to it, he's lifted up. He, he hears it. He's, he's, he says, God is honored in it. All right? So he is in awe of Mozart's gift that is until he meets him. Because when he meets him, he's so disappointed. Because the man, Mozart, although very kind of lovable, is like this reckless kid who's a grown-up, and he's unrestrained, and he's, he's cavalier with things, and he's drinking to excess, and he's, he's married but pursuing other women, and, and Salieri is, and he's, un, he's uncouth and he's, is, and he's crude in the way in which he sort of is operating. And, and Salieri is looking at us and he begins to just despise him. And then he gets mad at God. He says, God, I have honored you with my life. And you, you gave me a gift. But this man, look at him. His, and why would you give him such a gift when he's like that? 
And then he gets mad at God, and then on top of it, he starts to get consumed, the other thing, with envy. To the extent that that begins to just everything about it. You know what he ends up doing? He ends up destroying Amadeus. But along the way, he destroys himself. It's about the destruction of two people. All because he was envious. You know what was amazing about that? Is that here he is. He's just an extraordinarily gifted guy. He's got this amazing gift of his own. He's got blessings. And I thought, you know, that really does remind us sometimes what, what envy can do. It, what happens is we start, it shows up in our own lives. Sometimes we envy people. We envy, we want what they have. We feel like what we have isn't as good as what they have. Or we want this. We want to look like that. A lot of t- you know what I've noticed? Some of the hardest things for us to get past is when we have a friend who we're both kind of in the same place and then they get blessed. And it's really hard sometimes to, to be able to be genuinely happy and not see that as our loss. And we struggle with that, you know? I mean, I'm not just about like being neutral. I'm saying that sometimes if the truth were known, we're secretly rooting for it not to work. Danger of envy, and we all, listen, we all struggle with this in different ways. So one thing may not bother me at all, but if something happens and that really, I'm having a hard time here. Other something else may, may be easy for one person, not that easy for another. We all have areas that is difficult for us, and we, we, we have a hard time, listen, being contented. You know what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, you guys? It says this, that godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the older version, New King James Version. In other words, when we learn to be, no, you know, it's, it's not saying that we are not to be ambitious and, and seek to achieve in a healthy way. What it is saying is, though, that there is a value in, in learning to be content and be appreciative for the things that we've been given and not consumed with wanting what somebody else has or being, or being sort of upset and angry that they could have such a gift and we do not. The Lord says that kind of thing will kill um, wisdom flowing in our life. I came across this story that I think really illustrates it. Um, years ago, I came uh, across it, and I loved it the first time I read it, and I want to share it with you. It says, I heard a man, look at this, listen to this. I heard of a man who visited America. This guest in our country had come to study pieces of Chinese art, which by one means or another had been taken out of his country and brought to ours. He loved art as only a true connoisseur can. Each artifact, vase, statue, painting that he saw evoked his deepest appreciation. He was a lover of art. And one day, this gentleman was invited to the home of one of the richest art collectors in America to see all of the magnificent examples of Chinese art in the collection. At one point during the visit, the American collector took from his safe a ball of crystal, a crystal ball which had belonged to one of the emperors of the Ming Dynasty. When this breathtaking piece of art was shown to the visitor, His response was, thank you. Thank you for keeping this for me. I am indebted to you for all you have done to make it possible for me to enjoy this crystal crystal ball. And when the American asked what his guest meant by this statement, the man answered, well, is it not true that the beauty of this crystal ball is just as available for me to enjoy as it is for you? Yet I did not have to bear the expense of purchasing it or the cost of keeping it safe. That's true, said the American collector, but you do not have the joy of owning it. Why should I envy you for owning it if it can offer you no more beauty than it offers me? 
Furthermore, you do not own it. It was in the hands of someone else before you were born, and it will be in the hands of still another after you are dead. It is for you to take care of this beautiful thing while you are still alive and to share its beauty with any who ask to see it. Is it not true that if I should come again, you would show it to me and allow me to enjoy its beauty once more? Then why should I envy you for having this? Thank you so much. <laughs> I love that. Because what does it tell? It reminds me every time. I want to think about that. It's like, you know, I don't own anything. Every, and everything that we envy is passing away anyway. What did Jesus teach us? And, and by the way, the older we get, the more clear it is, the more fragile we are. Uh, youthfulness can mask, but not completely cover. The more the years go by, the more, more we are understanding of our own fragile like jars of clay, the Bible says. And we hold on to nothing. So many things that we claw for, strive for, Jesus taught us in the end, we don't hold them. They're temporarily at best, can be taken from us. That's why he said, don't lay up for yourself treasure on this earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves can break in and steal it or a stock market can turn and it's gone. No, no, lay up, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt and thieves can't break in and steal it. You know, be rich towards God. And what did he teach us? Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor. Love people like yourself. We, we, <laughs> okay, in, a, in, a, in my mind, you know, in light of that, how do we combat envy? How do we combat um, this kind of tendency on our part to be discontented? I mean, in an unhealthy way. I'll just, put up, I'll just put up a few closing points. This is just for us to be able to talk it over later on, to be able to, maybe with a friend over a cup of coffee or in a small group setting or even in our prayer time, reflect back over some things. But how do, I, how do I keep things that will steal and diminish the flow of God's wisdom in my life from taking root in me? One of the things that stay, I'm just going to give a couple of real quick little practical thoughts around this. Number one, I just remind ourselves periodically when we sense this is happening inside of our own heart that it's really foolish and, to, to be envious um, in the end, is, is deceptive. It, what does it do? It robs us of our ability to enjoy our gifts and blessings. You know, I go back to the story with Salieri and, and Mozart. He was so consumed with Mozart's gift that he lost sight of his own giftedness. It's true, it, he wasn't a genius. It's true, he could never write a, a piece of music quite like that. But he wrote good music. And, he, and, and he, he was given a gift. And you know what happens when we get envious and we get discontented in an unhealthy way? What happens is all our blessings that we have been given, just they're like thrown to the side. They're like, they don't mean anything. They're worthless. If I could only have this person. This is, if I could only possess that, if I only had that job, why did I get bypassed? The spirit is not a good thing in our heart. You know what another thing we do and it's connected to it is it, to help us through that? is to periodically stop, pause, and to do this, and just express a degree of thankfulness to God for his provisions in our lives. I, I'm telling you, when you feel that thing coming on us, on you, and, and when I, it, it's just important to say, Lord, I want to thank you. I want to, I want to stop for a moment and thank you. I thank you for the people in my life who I love. I thank you for my, whatever degree of health I have had and the breath of life that is in me. I thank you for a promise of such a great salvation. I thank you that you loved me, truly did. You would give everything for me. I am yours. You call me your son. You call me your daughter. You are growing me. You are providing. I, I have my need. I mean, you are so good, Lord. You are so, I mean, thank the Lord. There was, when I was growing up as a boy, there was a hymn that I was taught. It's called Count Your Blessings. 
Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. It's so simple, but I still remember it after all these years. Take a moment to just say thank you to the Lord. He'll break that thing in us. It'll break it in us. Thirdly, just as importantly, maybe even more intense, okay? There are times where we are being overcome by that, just like Salieri was being overcome in the story by his envy. He couldn't get out. Eventually, he destroys him. When you feel like that's taking root in you, or in, in, here, do an action in the opposite direction. What do I mean by There are times where I have felt like I was struggling with something. And it's like, Lord, I, and I felt like the Lord was saying, you know what? The best way to deal with this is you need to bless the very thing you envy. Maybe you need to speak a word of prayer of blessing. Maybe you write a note, a sincere as much as possible compliment. Maybe you need to speak something um, in a conversation. You know when we speak words, somebody say, aren't you being hypocritical? Uh, mm, not necessarily. What we speak, is an, if, we, if, we, if we seek to mean it, is actually enhanced inside of us. That's why I tell people, especially you know, when you're married, but not exclusively, is that when you say to someone, I love you, it enhances your love for them. He said, well, I don't feel like it. I know. Just like with the Lord, when we speak to him praise, part, it's not just because he, he needs it because his ego requires it. It's because part of us is changed in relation to him when we praise him. So when I say, you mean everything to me, Lord, that is enhanced in my heart by speaking it out. That is what the power of worship. When I speak out love to someone, I basically am saying something that is creating also the very thing that I'm saying. So that's why, oh, by the way, that's the danger of diminishing and cursing as well. That's why the Bible says don't do that. Don't, don't, don't curse those made in the light. Because what it does is it, 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 whatever we speak forth in that is implanted more deeply inside of us. Okay, I say that because sometimes the Lord is going to want us to get free of something and it's going to require us to actually fight that thing and go the opposite way with it. Well, I don't want to do that. I'll, I'll be neutral. No. Sometimes the Lord will say, you need to bless. But they're already blessed. Bless. You will be blessed. Bless. Be free. Bless. And then when all else fails, I call this my ultimate fail-safe. Number four, throw yourself, throw ourselves on the mercy of God. And by the way, that one, it works for a whole bunch of things as well. Because <laughs> sometimes we're struggling inside. We're, part of us is going, I want to do what you want me to do, God. I, 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 there's like there's two things fighting inside of me. One side of me is going, I want to do what God wants. The other side of me is going, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. Or I don't want to, I don't want, I want, and then you feel, you can feel that. Sometimes you just got to say, Lord, have mercy on me, strengthen me, help me, Lord. I, I, you know, have, I know that there are stuff going on inside of me that it's, it's not right. I get it, Lord, have mercy on me. They reminded me of the great ancient prayer of the Eastern Church, which was so simple, but they've, they've said it for generations. It's, it's known today as the Jesus Prayer. And, it, and it, it's so simple. It's, it's just, it goes basically like this. Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, the sinner. 
it's, it's like, Lord, you know my struggle here. You know this, this is a battle. Lord, let your mercy flow into my life. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's pray. Um, Lord, I, I thank you for your, your words. Uh, I love story. You modeled for us the power of story and how it can, it can open up our imagination to you. Uh, I pray that we be a people who are engaged in a growing life with you. Uh, I pray that that would show up in, in real ways. Um, we're, none of us are perfect. All of us have struggles. Um, all of us have things that when they're touched, Lord, calls out ugliness in us. It does. It does. But you have mercy and grace for us. And you call us to places of increased wholeness and progress in you. And I want to ask you, Lord, to just meet us by your spirit. I, I pray that you would help us to be a, a kind people, uh, a people who are merciful and who bless and who are kind. And, and we choose to allow your wisdom to flow through us in such a way that we are not reckless and moody and, and two-faced, Lord, in, in our reactions and responses, but uh, a growing whole person in you. And so I want to ask for your blessing and welcome you, Lord. May that show up in our relationships. The generosity that you show to us, that you invite us to ask for wisdom and you respond out of your generosity. It, may we be a generous people. May we be kind as well. May we follow in the path that you modeled for us, Lord. Truly, um, let us be students of living life well. I ask for your blessing. I ask for your grace. And let the, I know the last song that we're doing, Lord, let it just be like the, the final word of encouragement. And I pray for a time of giving. May we as a people, community, honor you in it. All this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.